How much time do you want for your progress? progress. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Clatter Chatter on Things That Matter, the podcast that is intellectually engaging, theologically reflecting, encouraging sociologically, imagining ways in which we can live. Thank you for spending this short amount of time with us. We promise you that you will not regret a moment of it. Shout out to Trevor Smith and B.J. Herbert for commissioning this fantastic music to get our minds going on things eternal, positive, and fulfilling life's purposes. Well, here we are on this fifth day or fourth day of November 2021, first week of November, post-election uh, for the Virginia governor's race, New Jersey governor's race, and several other races. It's interesting to see what is going on with everything. Dr. Hayes, good good day to you. Good day, Dr. Cooper. How you doing? It's a wonderful today? day in the neighborhood. Amen. Uh, it sure is. Thanks be to the Creator who gifted us with brand new mercies to see whatever this day shall unfold for us. Um, I was. I'm curious. Today is the first day that nationwide children between the ages of five and eleven can get their uh, COVID vaccine, uh, Pfizer's approval. I also saw today that uh, the British, Great Britain, is offering emergency authorization for, I think, the Merck uh, pill. Um, so that's interesting. And then sandwiched in between is um, the surge of coronavirus on the Wuhan Peninsula in China uh, that said this is the highest rate of infection um, since the pandemic began and they have the news report that I saw 30,000 people who attended some sort of festival are sheltering in place at that location. Can you imagine 30,000 people sheltering in place because mm. of the coronavirus pandemic? Oh Dr. Goodness. Hayes, what do you think? Oh my what is going on? Uh, I thought we were, it seems as if two steps forward, we take 20 steps backwards. And um, uh, what, what are you thinking? Boy, I'm just hearing about this. I, uh, I knew there would be more to come. You know, we've heard that all along. But uh, something has been unleashed in the atmosphere and uh, in the ecosystem, I would rather say, um, we have not done well in terms of our respect for the animal kingdom. And so this constant perpetual infringement upon uh, their place, their territories, uh, has, has left its mark. And some of us don't understand where the viruses uh, emerge from. 
But to my understanding, that is what happens when we expose ourselves in ways that uh, are not in keeping with that balance of nature. Yeah, I um and and it's interesting because I just pulled up the story and it says that China doubles down. This is CNN reported uh as of this morning uh 3:10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time that the headline says that China doubles down on zero covid as it battles the most widespread outbreak since Wuhan and I believe that it says I'm going to try to pull this story up so we can actually um, hear this story because I think it's it's important to um, just just to give us great pause. So uh, hold tight, Doctor Hayes. Here we go. I'm going to ready to cue it up right now um, because it is. I, I just want to say make this make sense. And again, this is as reported by CNN. California dreaming in China. Chinese social media influencers pose at a Costco in Shanghai to pretend they're in Los Angeles, a vivid reminder of how long China has been sealed off from the rest of the world. For nearly two years, most people in China have been unable to travel abroad due to harsh and lengthy quarantines upon return, as well as limited flights and some delays in visa processing. The country is sticking to a zero COVID strategy, determined to eliminate the virus within its borders despite fully vaccinating more than 75% of the population. Hong Kong, with its fate closely tied to China, is also in a sort of coronavirus purgatory, with many of its residents, especially expats, waiting for the city to reopen, just as the rest of the region is opening up. On Monday, South Korea took its first step to what they're calling a return to normal life. Despite reporting thousands of new cases every week, it's easing restrictions like lifting curfews and allowing some social gatherings. In Tokyo, curfews were lifted for bars and restaurants at the end of October, despite hundreds of new cases reported across Japan each day. Thailand on Monday started to welcome fully vaccinated travelers from low-risk countries without quarantine. Also on Monday, Sydney and Melbourne relaxed its border controls for citizens and permanent residents who are fully vaccinated. Fiji plans to reopen to fully vaccinated tourists on December 1st. Indonesia's resort island of Bali has reopened for some international arrivals, while New Zealand has abandoned its COVID-19 elimination strategy, and Singapore has also embraced living with the virus. The region's shift away from zero COVID follows generally high vaccination rates. Despite a slow vaccine rollout, countries including Australia, Japan, South Korea and Singapore are now among the most vaccinated in the world per capita. China, the country where the virus was first detected, is the only country in the region still chasing zero COVID. And it doesn't appear restrictions will ease anytime soon as the Beijing Olympic Games edge closer. And President Xi Jinping pursues an unprecedented third term in power. To ensure a smooth transition of the leadership, Thing, but that policy might so uh, the article says that um, out of the 30, 31 China provinces, 19 out of the 31 China provinces, half of the country are reporting cases of outbreak in mid November um, with this new Delta variant. And uh, and and it's scary. The uh, national uh, health uh, NHC 
um, reported 93 new symptomatic cases. The National Health Commission uh, in China uh, reported 93 new symptomatic cases, the highest daily count in three months. Um, and about 500 cases daily have been reported nationwide. And um, this zero COVID approach of the tighter um, borders, it, it just doesn't seem to, it's just not letting up, Dr. Hayes. And, um, and, and I don't know, I don't, I guess we have to learn to live with this and to not be afraid of, of what it is and to really change the mindset and to bow in humble submission that, um, things are, it, 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 it is what it is. And I know that's a cop out. What, what do you think? Well, I think you're right. I think our way of life has to change permanently. Uh, mask wearing is going to be just like wearing shoes. It's just something you do every day when you go out. <laughs> and and that's not the worst thing that could happen. Uh, in order to protect ourselves, we have had to resort to uh, various things throughout the course of history. And so I think that's what we're going to have to do, just be more vigilant about protecting ourselves, our families, our neighbors, and uh, just kind of stay out of places where we don't need to be. And, you know, it's interesting because I got, I got tickled as you, were, as you were speaking because wearing clothes is not natural. It is not natural. It is an adaptation that was made once the, uh, according to that monotheistic tradition, when uh, uh, Eve and Adam did their thing in in paradise, and they 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 um, had the desire, and they took the the fig or the pomegranate because it certainly wasn't an apple, but it was it was one of those. It was probably a pomegranate or a fig, and and they. They took that thing and their eyes were open according to that story. And, and then they wrapped themselves in fig leaves because they discovered that they were their nakedness. And that's interesting, right? And, and babies come into this world. And, and, and in the book of Job, we hear that story that, that naked I came into the world. I brought nothing in and I won't take anything out. But we have adapted into wearing clothes. It's not mm-hmm. natural to wear shoes. I am one who hates shoes. I'd rather be barefoot any day. But because of the adaptations that we made to live within social norms, we make those adaptations. We wear shoes. Um, yeah. And so uh, some of us have even adapted to wearing synthetic clothing. Synthetic clothing is nothing natural. Polyester is a sin. It is not natural. <laughs> it is not linen, neither is it cotton. It is a byproduct of 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 weaving uh, plastics and rayon is a byproduct of plastics and plastics, plastics or synthetics. And I think of even the notion of pantyhose, that is a sin, but we have learned to adapt as women. We, we, we wear certain things, correct? And so how hard is it for us to make those adaptations? Because as human beings, we adapt to environmental constraints, uh, whether we are closer to the equator where it's hotter or we are further away where uh, in Iceland where it's cold, our skin, our melanin even changes the adaptation, the survival of the fittest. And so why is it hard for us to adapt to wearing this new apparatus 
um, that others around the world have been wearing for a long time because of pollution. Um, and, and so the, the environmental damage and so, yeah, we, we make adaptations because that's who we are. Um, we're fluid. We should be that, that rigid stuff makes us break and crumble, fall apart. Come on, talk back, Dr. Hayes. Well, I, you know, I agree. And uh, it, it, it was interesting to me is that one man's implication that mask wearing is a sign of weakness has turned uh, so many in our population against uh, the wearing of masks. It's just, uh, it, you know, it's a wild phenomenon that that could, change the minds of so many people. Uh, I, I'm not going to wear a mask because I have to meet with heads of the state and it just it's not a good look. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. we know he's obsessed with his appearance, his hair and his skin color, all of that. But not to recognize in our leaders the weaknesses that all of us have. It's very interesting um, Phenomenon that it, it it doesn't matter if you're in a position of leadership and power. Whatever you do and however you act, those who look up to you will emulate. I think that's an interesting phenomenon. Absolutely. I mean, we are we we learn to like food based on our parents' reaction to food. Uh, we learn to adapt to certain things because they have been our first teachers or a significant adult. Um, and, and so based on those reactions of those leaders, as we have been socialized to think certain ways, uh, and then you move it to a national or global context, and um, it's, it's the ethics and moral compass of those who are in this position uh, of leading people, uh, it becomes incumbent upon those to have some kind of compassionate ethos um, and to re- be, as, as our book of discipline in African, Method- African Methodist Episcopal Church states, we have to walk circumspectly that um, my r- actions have a direct reaction to those who are looking for guidance. And we take mm-hmm. that role seriously. Um, it's, 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 it's a standard of behavior that lies within the mores and folkways of a civil society. And we have to have leaders who actually give a damn. And it's not about my hedonistic ways, but what's the utilitarian? What's the, what's, what's doing the most good to have the greatest impact? How can I be more considerate? Even these, well, I think, you know, in every, in every area, there are those who just rise to power. They have not been prepared. They have not given themselves to preparation. Uh, and been taught the principles of leadership. They just rise because they, you know, they know how to do stuff and they've done it. And every person who 
produces well is not a leader. Whoops. Say that again, uh, Dr. Hayes. <laughs> I think we just put the hat on them because they have achieved. But that's, that's not necessarily so. I think in our society we have slacked or lacked the um, understanding that we have to prepare people, train people to lead. It may be a natural gift, but there's certain things that are prevalent within our society uh, that lend themselves to certain kinds of behaviors. And so uh, there are a lot of things that go into holding offices or positions of leadership that the average person may not even think about. I know when um, when I was uh, first entering into ministry, uh, the trappings uh, of ministry were attractive to me. I liked the robes and the collars and the da-da-da, you know, but then I had a certain um, bent for fashion and um, I remember distinctly being ridiculed for wearing a pair of red shoes in the pulpit. But I had on a red skull and a linen uh, robe. And I really thought I had put that thing together. And it was surprising and uh, irritating, to tell the truth about it, that someone would raise the issue. Of, of my wearing red shoes in the pulpit. And that but, left an indelible mark in your memory. Well, yeah, because I hadn't even thought about the inappropriateness or the seeming inappropriateness. Uh, I just learned how to match, you know, we, we match stuff <laughs> when we dress. And uh, so that was that was my motivation. I wasn't thinking what what it would project to the general congregation. And that's a small thing, but that's just an example of what people expect from leaders uh, that they might not even adhere to themselves. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and uh, I think the model that I really uh, like to look at is when um, the historical Jesus was having his um, final conversations with his followers, because you can't lead without followers, and he had hand-selected this, this motley crew to take up the mantle once he had completed his task on earth and they were they were vying for positions, you know, especially the I call them the the three that were intentionally chosen for whatever reasons, Peter, James and John to watch the transfiguration and et cetera. But on multiple occasions the heir is apparent. Yeah, on, on multiple <laughs> occasions Jesus had to give these reminders that you know, may the greatest of you be the servant. Uh, the first will be last. The last will be first. Don't don't take that front seat at the banquet. Let somebody ask you to get to that place. Don't just assume. And and so there is this there is this 
um, balance with humility that a leader uh, authentically has to also wrestle with humility or else that ego will take over every step of the way. And I think that with this humility and, and this compassionate heart, this, this care, that, that, is, that is that thorn that is in one side to realize that, you know, you're not all of that in a bag of chips. I know that's a 1990s phrase, um, but, but there are some imperfections that, that we have never arrived. We are on a journey going towards something. Um, and, and that when we have maximized our capacity, there is an opportunity for even greater growing edges. And I think that in this time in which we are living, we are in this capacity, growing edge space of realizing that what was is no more. And I, even our vain attempts of leading is failing. And so what does that look like? You know, so, some folks are, I was listening to uh, Karen Hunter on Urban View 126 XM Radio, and she's such a poignant uh, and prolific proclamator of good news. And so she was saying with the most recent gubernatorial race in Virginia and what the Democratic Party put forward in McAuliffe as a leader. It's like, is this what you all want to represent? An old white man? That's the best you got? You keep doing the same thing, realizing that's not working. It's not working. And why do we keep going back to what was instead of seeing this is our reality? The Democratic Party, even the Republican Party, we're growing in, in a different way. And, and if we can't wake up to this reality that people really desire cheap gas, it shouldn't cost me $75 to fill up my tank. It shouldn't cost me an extra amount in groceries to just have fresh fruits and vegetables. It shouldn't cost an, an exorbitant amount just to live. So these perceived leaders... Feel our pain. The proletariat is rising up. That's what Karl Marx said in the Communist Manifesto. The bourgeoisie need to take two seats and the proletariat are rising up. We see that in the the strikes that are still happening with the John Deere Corporation, with the Kellogg's workers in Omaha. We see uh, that, that folks are at the breaking point. We see it with, with clergy. Um, burning out from serving and walking away from responsibilities because they can't take it anymore. We're seeing it with, um, I mean, folks who are exiting uh, positions. I saw the other day an advertisement for position at Dunkin' Donuts. And this advertisement said $14 an hour with a $600 sign-in bonus. And you don't have to use grease. You don't have to fry anything. You're making mm -hmm. coffee. And the day is over at 7 o'clock p.m. Flexible hours. That's pretty damn deep. 
That's like $30,000 in earnings a year if you work 40 hours a week, $14 an hour. That's pre-taxes. That ain't bad, especially when you think that first-year teachers barely make $35,000 a year. But I can go and be a barrister at Dunkin' Donuts making coffee, not having to stress, not even being burned by grease. Proletariat is rising up. The handwriting is on the wall, as as Daniel would say. It's beyond wearing the mask. The mask is is the veil that's revealing so much that has been broken in our world. Well, life seems to be cyclical, and we and we go round and round and round. Uh, over the same territory, it seems to me, of how the rich and powerful abuse the poor and the weak. And then the poor and the weak get their quiver full and they rise up and say, we ain't going to take it no more. And then they make adjustments and then before you know it, uh, the rich and powerful have taken over again. They really never let go of, they just sort of change their way of doing. But it's a, it's an old story. I guess that's my point. It's an old story of how uh, the world changes and the people who inhabit the earth continue to have to struggle. I mean, you know, you ask the question, will the struggle ever end and from the looks of things the answer is no and so we have to ask the question is that what life is about struggle it may be Um, I don't have a particular position on it but I see that there is a purpose for struggle in in our lives It, it builds character it builds strength and resilience and that's why they say that our people are so resilient. Well, we've had a lot of <laughs> practice at developing our muscle because we've had to fight all the way. So I, I think these these issues are, are worth thinking about and talking about and finding ways to appreciate. <clears throat> In other words, add value to the experiences that we have in life because it does make us richer and better people when we we have to fight for something and with uh, the people who are also fighting, there's a creation of community that occurs. All of these things add to us as people. Dr. Hayes, um, we lost that connection. And on that note, I suppose I'll end this um, conversation today. Technology is great. And uh, we bow down to the power that is greater than us. It has been a privilege, a pleasure, and an honor to have you join in with us today. Remember that everything will be all right. 
until we meet again. Stay safe and well.